Good morning. The readings from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thanks be to God for his word. Friends, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Please do have a Bible open there at Romans chapter 5. We'll be looking at that passage this morning. So say, it's lovely to see so many guests and visitors with us today. Um, good to see some people who haven't been with us for a while, like Nigel and uh, Jim as well. And I know... Uh, Jim and Christine both give glory to God for wonderful answered prayer for Jim. It's great to have you back with us today. Organizing myself here. Right. How about we pray as we come to God's word together? Our Lord God, our Father pray this morning that you'd please silence all the other voices in our heads and hearts and let us hear your voice alone. We pray that you would speak to us to fill us with wonder and awe at what you've done for us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. I think it's fair to say that failure is part of human existence. Uh, Back in 1453, the invading Turkish army swept into the city of Constantinople, a fortified city. Uh, They defeated the city. They brought an end to the Eastern Roman Empire, an end to the Middle Ages, all because someone forgot to lock the gate. In 1999, uh, NASA engineers failed to spot that some of their computer software was measuring in feet and inches rather than millimeters and meters. And the $327 million Mars Climate Orbiter was lost when it screamed into the Martian atmosphere at a speed that was far greater than it was supposed to. 
And in 2013, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, the British IT engineer James Howells, he uh, accidentally threw away a hard drive containing 7,500 Bitcoin, which apparently today is worth about $500 million, which is now languishing irretrievably at the bottom of a Welsh rubbish tip. Uh, I read the other day, actually, that he's been in con consultation with NASA engineers to try and get it back, so we'll, we'll see. Hashtag epic fail. And you know, as we look back on another year, maybe you look back on your own failures this year. Uh, it might not be on par with Constantinople or NASA or James Howells, but we can all remember times we have failed. And maybe as we're even talking about this theme, you're feeling uncomfortable as a particular memory bubbles to the surface of a place where you have failed. Maybe you've failed to take opportunities that were available to you. Uh, perhaps you failed to live up to expectations that others had of you or that you had of yourself or that you believed God had of you. Maybe you didn't do as well at school or at uni as you hoped. Maybe you, you try to do things, but your body or your mind let you down. Maybe you made a colossal failure in a relationship or in your finances or in your job or even in your walk with Jesus. Maybe there's nothing specific. You're just used to thinking of yourself as a failure. Whatever this theme makes you think of, I think we all have areas in our lives where we have failed, big and small, things which, when we remember them, bring us pain and shame and regret. I know I do. What I'd like to show you this morning from Romans chapter 5 is how the beautiful biblical truth of justification by faith is the very best remedy to failure that there possibly is. Because if failure is a familiar experience for all of us, then justification by faith is the good news that all of us need to hear. So I do invite you to have a Bible open at chapter 5, the New Testament letter to the Romans, so you can follow along in the service outline. There are four section headings to help us keep our bearings. And so this is our first heading this morning, justification by faith. It keeps getting better. Now, I realize that justification by faith, which I'm going to say a lot this morning, uh, it sounds like one of those fancy theological phrases that's only useful in an argument. But because the Bible says in verse 1 of Romans chapter 5 that we have been justified by faith, it stands to reason we should probably know what being justified by faith actually means. Just before our reading of, from today in Romans chapter 4, Paul has been um, breaking down the Old Testament story of Abraham. And what's crucial to the whole story of Abraham is not anything that Abraham himself actually did, but rather what God did, and that Abraham trusted God to do what he had promised. You see, Abraham took God at his word. Even though Abraham and his wife were old, very old in their 90s, even though they had no children, Abraham still staked his life on God's promise to make him the father of many nations. So appreciate if you jump back in your Bibles for a moment to chapter 4, verse 20 of Romans. It says this, 
No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 4 verse 20. Now the big word there, righteousness, righteous really means being in a right relationship with God. So when the Bible says that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, it means that God gave to him the gift of a right relationship with himself on the basis of Abraham's total trust, even a trust which still had to grow strong and not because Abraham had done anything to impress God or earn uh, God's favor, earn that righteousness. It's very important to grasp this. We must make sure we understand this. That Abraham's faith was counted to him, Abraham's righteousness was counted to him, that he didn't earn it. Because he trusted, he took God at his word for what God said he would do. And it's crucial that we understand this because of the point Paul goes on to make uh, in the next paragraph. Because he points out that this wasn't just for Abraham, it was for us as well. So jump down to verse 24. Verse 24 that says that it, righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the way it works for Abraham is the way it works for us. Now, there are a lot of big words here again. So as we've said, righteousness is a right relationship with God where our sin no longer stands in the way. Justification, then, is the legal declaration of having been made righteous. It's like when the judge makes his judgment and he bangs his gavel and his word is the final word on the matter. Justified is God's final word on his people in Christ. And it's the most wonderful truth that though we can't fix our relationship with God because of our sin, by trusting completely that Jesus has done everything necessary to pay for our sin, we are declared righteous, forgiven, accepted by God. Christians are justified by faith in Jesus alone. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you're here this morning, you cannot say with confidence that God has justified you because you're trusting entirely in Jesus. Well, perhaps today is a good day to have a, a chat with a trusted Christian friend, uh, to pray about it, or even to come and ask myself or, or Jono or one of the other leaders after the service. Jesus came at Christmas, and you know, how wonderful would it be if Jesus came to you personally this Christmas? And you knew that you were justified in God's sight. Well, now that Paul has established the truth of justification by faith in Jesus in chapter 4, he now moves in chapter 5 to show just how great, how fantastic justification by faith really is. Because even though it's a very important doctrine, this doctrine is by no means dry. It's a truth that just keeps getting better and better. So as we read, as Jean read for us earlier, and we scanned down in our Bibles, notice how Paul keeps saying, 
also this in verse 2. Not only that, verse 3. Much more, verse 9 and verse 10. And more than that, verse 11. It just keeps getting better and better. If this is our prime minister, he'd be going, how good is justification by faith? So what does justification by faith give us? Well, that's the theme of verse 1 to 11. <clears throat> and just a warning, I'm not going to follow uh, Paul's flow of thought here uh, because I want to show particularly how the doctrine of justification by faith helps us handle failure with Jesus. So at, at risk of sounding a little bit like Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, we're going to look at what justification by faith means for our past, our present, and our future. Uh, just with no scary ghosts and that sort of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, one thing to notice in these 11 verses is how much of what they say is in the past tense. This is our second heading for this morning, the past. It's a done deal. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith. Verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts. Verse 6, while we were still weak at the right, right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 9, we have now been justified by faith in his blood. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And verse 11, we have now received reconciliation. You see, all past tense. And friends, what all of this means is that for those who put their faith in Jesus, our justification in, by God is a done deal. It's done. It's happened. With the current uh, mental state of the housing market, especially here on the Sunshine Coast, there's plenty of prospective buyers and renters that have turned up to house inspections only to find that they've already been sold. That's kind of how it works with us in Christ. Nothing can change what's happened. It's a done deal. Once we are justified by God through our faith in Christ, nothing can change that. And yet how often do we think that my performance today changes what God has already done for me. Perhaps I feel that God doesn't love me as much if I haven't been at church regularly recently. Or I believe that God won't answer my prayers because I haven't been reading my Bible and praying the way I know I should. Or I believe that if certain people don't like me or don't respond to me the way I think they should, well, that means God doesn't like me either. Or I believe that when I sin, I've somehow got to earn my way back into God's good books. Or even earn the right to ask for forgiveness. That's not how it works, friends. Justification comes by faith, not by performance. Where were you when God saved you? Think back to when you became a Christian. Were you peaking in life when God saved you? Was it when you were hitting a new personal best every day? Was God impressed with you and he looked at you and thought to himself, now there's someone I want in my kingdom? That's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, the Bible says that when Christ died for us, we were weak and ungodly, verse 6, 
We were sinners, verse 8, and we were God's enemies, verse 10. You see, God saw us at our worst, and he still saved us. So what makes us think that we can make him any less impressed with us than he was when he saved us in the first place? All we could possibly offer God was our sin that needed a remedy. We can't impress him any less than, we, than what, what he saw when he first brought us to faith in Christ. He saw us when we weren't even on the bottom rung. We, were, we weren't even on the ladder. And he saved us. And so if you've offered your sin to God, admitted it and put your total trust in Jesus, what Jesus has done for you, well, friends, that means you have been counted righteous and welcomed into God's family as a son or a daughter that he loves. Nothing can change that, not even your worst failures. Our salvation was all of God. And friends, you and I are simply not capable of mounting any challenge to what God has done. We're just not powerful enough. Even with the very worst we can do, God is still stronger. Now, this is not at all to excuse sin. In fact, Paul kind of preempts that in chapter 6. He deals with that issue. Sin must be brought to the cross and repented of. But we can do so confidently on the basis of what God has already done for us in Christ. Not out of fear that we've blown it. Not out of fear that God might reject us because of our failure. But on the basis of what he's already done for us. You see, God wants not our perfection... God wants our faith, and that's why Jesus came. So that's what God's done for us in the past. Our justification by faith is a done deal. But since we have been justified by faith, what does that mean for the present? This is our third heading, and it's really what verse 1 and 2 is about. Please look with me at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So I wonder if you saw there, there are three present benefits to our justification by faith. The first is peace with God. The second is access to God's grace. The third is hope, uh, sorry, joy in hope and in suffering. Let's look at each of those in turn. First is peace with God, we find in verse 1. And it's, it's vital that we, we're clear about what peace with God actually means, because it's not, as one Bible teacher points out, essentially a feeling of inner tranquility, happy and carefree, springing from knowledge that God will shield one from life's hardest knocks. In fact, that would make no sense of what follows in verse 3 to 5. Instead, we must remember that actually, before Christ, God was hostile to us. It's not just that we were hostile to God, he was hostile to us. Because the holy creator of the universe is bound by who he is to judge sin. And like it says there, we were sinners. But now, because of Jesus, God is no longer against us. 
and he is absolutely for us. It's another verse from Romans. You see, it's a new relationship. This peace with God is a new relationship with the God who made us, where we are forgiven and accepted and loved because of Christ, where previously we were his weak, ungodly, and sinful enemies. Peace with God right now. Where you're sitting this morning in church, you have peace with God. You have your faith in Jesus Christ. And actually, peace with God is the, is the kind of heartbeat of this section, these 11 verses, because this is the great result of justification by faith, a new relationship with the God who made us. It's there kind of bracketing this section. It's there in verse 1 and verse 11, uh, and in verse 10, when Paul explains how we've been reconciled to God by the death of his son. So that's the first thing, peace with God. Secondly, verse 2, we have gracious access. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, peace with God means access to God. Uh, what the Bible calls access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we're no longer barred from his presence. We are welcomed into grace, into God's undeserved favor. And there we stand. This means we haven't earned our way in. We haven't earned our place there. So we can't unearn it either. Practically speaking, this means we can pray with the confidence that God will hear and respond to our prayers. Prayers prayed in faith and not on the basis of our performance, but looking entirely towards his grace to us. It means that when we failed, we can go to God in prayer, laying our regrets and our shame and our pain before him and our sins as well. In complete confidence, that his love for us is no different to what it was before than before we failed. A Christian has access to grace, and he stands there forever. So peace, gracious access. Thirdly, verse 3, joy in hope and in suffering. Three times Paul shows us that we can rejoice in our present circumstances because nothing can change who we are in Christ or where we are heading. So verse 2 uh, into verse 3, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. So when our current performance or our current circumstances cannot change God's love for us and his acceptance of us in Christ, that's a reason for joy. Now, we've got to be careful of understanding what the Bible means when it uses the word joy, because it doesn't just mean kind of a cheerfulness or a happiness or a Christmas merriment. It's hard to be happy when you're suffering, isn't it? Um, in fact, it's a bit weird. We call it masochism. But instead, biblical rejoicing is about having a deep, immovable, contented delight in what God has done for us in Christ. That's biblical joy. And it's independent of circumstances. It's independent of performance. So we don't look for joy in our circumstances or performance. Those things go up and down. They're bound to disappoint us sooner or later. Either we'll disappoint ourselves 
or stuff that's beyond our control will disappoint us. Instead, we look away for those, from those things. We look for joy in Christ and what he has achieved for us, which, as we said, is a done deal, and it's always the same. And so our joy can be constant no matter what's happening and no matter how we are doing. Whether we're contemplating our future in heaven or our present suffering, we can still rejoice. Let me also say that justification by faith will also keep us from taking a reading of God's love for us based on our circumstances. It'll keep us from resenting God and what he's causing to happen in our lives. Because as we'll see, our circumstances have a purpose, but they're not to show how much or how little God loves us. What he's done for us in Christ, the cross on the hill, that is the, where we take our reading from of how much God loves us. That he was willing to give up his own son to save weak, ungodly sinners like ourselves. It doesn't get more real than that. So in the present, we've got peace, we've got grace, we've got joy. Let's look now at the future. And if our justification is a done deal because of Jesus, and if we have every cause to enjoy peace, grace, and real joy in the present because of Jesus, it gives us a very different outlook on the future. It's an outlook where there's room to grow, just like Abraham's faith had to grow strong in verse 20 of the previous chapter. In the future, the Bible tells us with absolute certainty that Uh, what what the justified have to look forward to. So look with me at verse 9 and 10. Uh, It says there, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And verse 10, For if while while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? In other words, just as nothing we can do can can change God's declaration of us as righteous because of Jesus, so nothing can change, nothing we can do, nothing out there can change where we are headed, where our final destination is, a saved eternity. So with that future in mind, I'd like you to look back now at verses 3 to 5. Verse 3 starts like this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Now, in a a few weeks, we'll be in a new year. That new year will bring opportunities, possibilities, but it will also bring failures. And verses 3 to 5 tell us how to approach all the possibilities and opportunities and failures that we will face because we are justified by faith. And I'd like to just highlight two things here. The first is that our failures, they have purpose. The Bible says that when we suffer even as a result of our own failures, God will use those experiences to grow our enduring trust in him, to grow our character as we grow more and more like Jesus, 
and to grow our hope in what he has secured in heaven for us forever. It might surprise us to know that God is not surprised at our failures. He's seen them coming, and they're part of his plan for us. And so this means that when we fail at something, not if, but when, and we feel that pain, that shame, that regret, what we mustn't do is punish ourselves for it. Jesus has already been punished for us. Our first response instead must be to go to our loving Heavenly Father, humbly confessing sin where necessary, and ask Him, what are you teaching me right now? He might be teaching you to embrace the limits that He has set on your life in wisdom and in love for you. He might be teaching you to reassess exactly who you're trying to impress. He might simply be teaching us that he's God and we're not. It's a good lesson to take from any failure. Charles Colson famously went from being a top-level U.S. politician to going to jail for his involvement in the 1972 Watergate scandal. Uh, He became a Christian in jail and eventually started a, a prison ministry which flourishes even today. And in 1983, Colson wrote this. He says, The real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My great humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory for his glory. So friends, our failures have purpose, and we need to see them in that light. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to highlight is how justification by faith does away with fear of failure and frees us to have a go. Have a go. Um, As I was researching for this, I came across a very old advert um, from the 1970s here in Australia. It was encouraging Australians to have a go. Um, Some of you are old enough, I guess, might remember the ad. Because if we can't change what God has done for us in the past, in Jesus, if we have unchangeable peace and grace and joy in the present because of Jesus, and if our future is secure in Jesus forever, and if our failure and our suffering has purpose, and like it says, if God has poured his love into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, which he's given to us, what have we got to lose? Really, what have we got to lose? We're freed from worrying about our performance or what others think of us. And we can serve God freely, not trying to impress him, trying to earn anything, but to live the life that he's given us. It means we can keep trying. We can keep praying. We can keep living faithfully for Jesus. So have that conversation that you've been putting off. Make that invitation. Serve outside your comfort zone. Say that apology and offer to try again, whether it's to a friend, a family member, husband and wife, child, parent, not in your own strength, but in the strength that God provides. Start again trying to have a regular time of daily Bible reading and prayer. And in three or four days when it didn't work, start again. When we've been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus and our destination is secure, what have we got to lose, friends? 
Now, as we move to a, to a close, please don't think I've got this all figured out myself. Um, I don't. Uh, and I think if those who taught God's word only taught the stuff that they, that they succeeded at, we wouldn't have very much to say. I need to be reminded of this too. Uh, and it was particularly brought home to me during this year as I, I read again a book by an Australian church leader in a chapter called Justification by Faith, A Truth That Works. And let me tell you, it is a truth that works. And what it really comes down to is this, that you might look at yourself and see your failures, your mistakes, your foolishness, your shame, your sin. But if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not how God sees you. When God looks at you, Because of what Christ has done, he sees a precious child that he loves, a son or a daughter, a child that he has decided to love, now and forever in Christ. And that's it. And so when you fail, whatever you think of yourself, remind yourself again that That's not how God sees you. Reread Romans chapter 5 to remind yourself what God sees when he looks at you. And have another go. As we close, I'd like to pray and use the words of a prayer that a Christian prayed a long time ago. A guy, I think, who really understood this truth. He was a Puritan pastor called Joseph Allen, um, some of you might have heard of before. And as we pray... I trust that you'll make this prayer your own as well. Let's talk to God together. Oh God, I see you have been at work with my soul. I find the prince. I see the footsteps. Surely this is the finger of God. I am your servant, O Lord. Truly I am your servant. And my soul says, you are my Lord. It must be so. Oh, Lord, would you ever put your mark on another's goods? Or would you ever disown your workmanship? My name is written in heaven. You have written your name on my heart, so I cannot question that you have my name on your heart. I have chosen you, O Lord, as my happiness and heritage, and therefore I am sure that you have chosen me. For I could not have loved you unless you loved me first. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we're going to stand now and sing in response to God's word. As the music team comes forward. Now, final song this morning, very appropriate, Amazing Grace.